0: God, we acknowledge as a group of believers in this room, God, that it's all about you. And we thank you that you did pay the price and that you put our feet on firm ground. And that there's nothing, nothing that can separate us from your love. And God's people said, Amen. We should just say Amen and go home, huh? That was awesome. That was awesome. Welcome. Uh, my name is Dan Hardy. I'm one of the pastor's here at Windsor Community Church. This church exists to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. We long to see people come to genuine saving faith, to put their faith in Jesus. and We long to see people love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be more in love with Jesus, to, to serve Him with our passions and all of our strength. The other thing that we're here for is really it's airline training. So I was sitting in these seats, I got them a little bit tight. My knees were up against the front of the chair in front of me. So as you may know, this building is given to us. Our building was destroyed May 22nd, a year ago. And this is a phenomenal gift that we get to enjoy and worship, the one that is worthy of all worship and praise every Sunday. And that we even use it a few times uh, periodically during the week. But we're going to have them spread the chairs out a little bit next time. So sorry about that. Today we're going to finish up one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, uh, chapter 3 of Genesis. And if you, have, uh, if you have not spent much time in this chapter, I would just really encourage you to spend the rest of the year in this chapter. It is so rich. It is so foundational. Without an understanding of Genesis 3, it is hard to get a grasp on the rest of the Bible. It really is the first half of God's Word, is Genesis 3 and, and everything before that. So, four weeks ago, Pastor Dean taught through the first seven verses of Genesis. Pastor Dean had the privilege of teaching through uh, some very hard verses, and that's the fall of man. That's uh, where we see uh, Adam and Eve disobeying God, and he had one command, is all, and that's for them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve sinned against that. And then three weeks ago, I started a series Called God's response to our sin and it really started in verse 8 of chapter 3 and the first part of that was God's gentle pursuit of man in verses 9 through 13 and after the man and woman sinned after they disobeyed God God came to pursue them and he came to pursue them in a loving way I grew up in a religious background where I've always thought of God up above just scowling at me just looking for, for me to drop the ball and uh, do something bad. And God is a God to fear, for sure. And He is a God that takes sin seriously. But He is a God that is all about reconciliation. He created Adam and Eve for a relationship. And in those verses, we had four principles that we looked at. Principle one is, there is one cure for the guilt and shame of sin. One cure. Adam and Eve hid themselves from God. They hid themselves because they were ashamed of their nakedness. And there's one cure for guilt in the shame of sin. And that's relationship with Jesus. Principle number two, God wants a relationship with us. He created man and woman for a relationship. Principle number three, God is merciful, He's gracious, and He's slow to anger. And that holds true in our sin. God is merciful, He's gracious, and He's slow to anger. Fourth principle is that we're responsible for our sin. No matter what, we're responsible for it. It doesn't matter who caused us to do what. We saw both Adam and Eve blaming their sin on the other person. We saw Adam blaming his sin on God and on Eve. He said, God, the woman that you gave me made me eat from this tree. And Eve said, God, it's a serpent. It's Satan. The devil made me do it. In part two, last week, we saw God's judgment and His grace in verses 14 through 19. We went over a concept in 315 called Proto-Evangelism. It's something that church fathers have called 315 for years, Proto-Evangelism. And it's the first gospel. It's the first gospel that is right there after creation is completed. We see that the woman will produce offspring in her lineage. The Messiah will come from Eve. And this Messiah will crush the head of the serpent. And those of you that weren't here last week, and I'd encourage you all to come up and take a look at this. We're going to get a magnifying glass I don't know, maybe i got a simple mind, but this is the most mind-boggling chart that I've ever seen. Where you've got Adam and Eve down here, and then you've got the lineage all the way, the offspring of Eve going all the way through up through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And there's so many things that needed to happen between Adam and Eve and the Messiah. I mean, so many things that had to happen that are just flat out miraculous. We also saw last week that the first prophecy and the first prophet, God was the first prophet. And the first prophecy was that the 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 woman's offspring was going to come and crush the seed. Is going to excuse me, crush the serpent, crush Satan. That Satan is defeated. That the Messiah is coming. Second, last we saw that, uh, or next we saw that Satan's future is imminent. He's cursed. He's doomed. He has no power. If you know Jesus Christ, Satan has no authority over you whatsoever. He can deceive us. He can lie to us. But he can't make us do anything. We saw the consequences for the woman. uh, That the woman now has pain in childbirth. Before the fall of man, uh, there was no pain in childbirth. There wasn't going to be any pain in childbirth. We saw that the woman is going to have pain and sorrow in her relationships. We saw that there is an increase in the woman's ability to conceive. And that the the woman would have a desire to lead her husband. She would have a desire for her husband. Consequences for the man is pure and simple pain and work. That man's toil would be uh, painful. Now several of these consequences, and we're not going to have time to go into it this morning, several of these consequences can be minimized, if you will, when you're in Christ, when you're living by the fruit of the Spirit. One consequence for man and woman that we saw in verse 19, actually we didn't spend much time on verse 19, verse 19, but this particular consequence cannot be mitigated. It cannot be canceled. It cannot be reversed. And that's physical death. That because of the fall, every one of us has a lifespan. We're going to die. It says that we're going to return to dust, which is what Adam was created out of. Today we're going to look at verses 20 through 24, and we're going to see the final consequences of Adam and Eve's rebellion and the Uh, The title of the sermon is Consequence and Mercy. And what you're going to see all through this is, even though God's uh, holiness was defamed, that that Adam and Eve and every person on the planet has sinned against God, that he is merciful and he is strong to save. And you're going to see these verses all throughout. uh, You're going to see this concept all throughout these verses. Let's pray. Father, I do praise you. God, I thank you that you are good, that you are good all the time. Lord, I thank you that you came to seek and save the lost. Lord, it is mind-boggling to me, uh, your, your uh, blueprint, your plan for salvation. And Father, I just pray that, that you would give me clarity. Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me. Uh, God, that I would not be a distraction in any way with my voice, with my words, with my demeanor. Uh, God, I thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And that you say that your word will not return void. So God, I just pray that you would just do a work in us this morning. That we leave here this morning uh, more in love with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you open your Bibles to chapter 3? And we're going to read the entire chapter together. I just can't think of a way to separate any part of this in reading it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden, of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. And he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. These are amazing verses. God starts in verse 20. After doling out the consequences, the very next line that the narrator Moses put in God's word, verse 20, says the man called his, his wife's name Eve because she was a mother of all living. This is the first time that the woman was called anything other than woman. And Eve, which means life-giver, and resembles the Hebrew word living. Now there's, there's two types of life that I believe that the narrator wants us to learn here. One is, is that life-giver in the sense that Eve will be the mother of all creation. That all offspring will come from Eve. All mankind will start from her. She will also be the life giver because of her offspring. Out of her offspring will come the one who conquers Satan, the great Messiah. That she ultimately gives life to the one who crushes the serpent's head. And we're going to talk more about the concept of eternal life as we go through these verses this morning. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And folks, really pay attention here, because as I was as I was looking at these, I don't know how many times I've read these verses, but I've never understood what God wanted to teach me in these verses, what I believe he wanted to teach us and what he was saying. Remember, as we talked about two weeks ago, that Moses is a narrator, and he's writing this to the Israelites. That's his primary audience as is the Israelites on Mount Sinai. But it's also God is also having it pinned for us today, 2009 in Windsor, Colorado. God provides for our basic needs, particularly as believers. God is merciful even in our disobedience and sin. Yahweh Elohim comforted them in the area of their basic need where they were most ashamed. That's in their nakedness. He clothed them with animal skins. Matthew 6:28 28-33, Matthew you're familiar with this verse. It says, Consider the lilies of the field. This is when somebody is anxious about not having clothing, not having food, not having shelter. And what, what Jesus says is, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O little of faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And I've got a feeling that Adam and Eve, in their nakedness, they certainly were, were overcome with shame and guilt. But there was a little bit of anxiety in this, this new look they were sporting. And they had, they had leaves covering them. They had uh, just anything they could find covering them up. And then God, in his mercy, killed two animals. Well, actually, we don't know if it's two animals. He killed an animal or two and clothed them in his mercy. The other need that Adam and Eve had, and I don't know that they knew it at the time, and it's the need that each, each of us have, it's our ultimate need, and that's for forgiveness of our guilt and shame. They hid from God because of their shame and their guilty conscience. Adam learned immediately after he sinned the feeling of guilt, whereas before he sinned, he had no idea what guilt felt like. He had no idea what shame felt like. And I like this quote from the uh, Barnes commentary. It says, In sin, Adam became aware in his own person and to his own condemnation of good and evil as distinct and opposite qualities. Adam and Eve had no idea that evil even existed before the fall of man. Psalm 31.10 says, For my life is spent with sorrow. Most of us, in fact, I think all of us have felt this emotion before where we've got so much sin and built up in our heart, particularly when before we were believers, that we were just overcome with guilt and shame. And the psalmist puts it this way, For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. That's the feeling that Adam and Eve had, that their bones were wasting away. All they knew is that they were created perfect in God's image. Then all of a sudden, on a dime, they are aware of not just good, but they're aware of evil. I just got a call this morning from uh, from Tracy Shields about six o'clock this morning, and uh, Tracy and his wife Kia have been fellowshipping with us for a couple of months. Uh, Tracy is uh, very involved with Keros Prison Ministry, and he is down there for a long weekend. He went down Thursday. He's coming back this afternoon. And uh, he called and he said, hey, Dan, he said, have the body be praying. He says, God is at work. God is at work. He says that there is, there's a couple of gang members down there. And he said they're called um, shot collars. Does anybody know that term? Shot, S-H-O-T, shot collars. And they're the ones that are the kingpins in the yard in the prison that are the kingpins of their particular gang. And this guy's name is, uh, is John Kilgore. John is the head of of a uh, cult called 211, which is a white supremacist group. And um, can you imagine the guilt and shame that some of these guys have in prison? The guilt and shame that comes with murdering somebody. The guilt and shame that uh, that comes with adultery, that comes with with um, living outside of God's will for mankind. And that guilt and shame, as it says in in uh, Romans 1, is alive and well in people that have yet to give their lives to Jesus. Okay, there's a conscience that the Lord has given us where that when people sin, they know. They know it's not right. This man, John Kilgore, is a new creation. He gave his, he's gave his life to the Lord last night. Praise God. Please clap for this. Yeah. And John Kilgore... Uh, Tracy told me this morning that John Kilgore, um, last night is befriending a guy that is the shot caller for the Crips. And there is a, there is a revival of sorts going on. So would, would you, let's just stop and pray right now. Father, uh, ah, God, would you break our hearts? Would you break my heart, God? Would you give me a passion, your passion for the lost? God, I thank you for this new life. That's John Kilgore. I can't imagine uh, the baggage that this man's been carrying with him, the things that he's done. God, he is now a new creation, and you have taken away all of his sin, past, present, future. (laughs) That you've forgiven him of the guilt of his sin. For you tell us in Romans 8, 1 that there's no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus. And, Lord, we know that guilt and shame come from sin. And that guilt and shame for the believer is the the work and the lie of the deceiver, the enemy. So, Lord, we thank you for this new life. I pray that you would just gird up Tracy and the others. Uh, Gird up this John Kilgore. God, I just know that the enemy is going to attack. But, Lord, we take great hope in the promise of knowing that the enemy has no authority over him that he is a new creation and you now abide in him and there is no room for the enemy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God in his mercy clothed Adam and Eve. He met their basic needs, but they didn't know it at the time. But he's in the process of meeting their ultimate need. And that's their ultimate need for a savior, their ultimate need to be reconciled with the Father. I love this verse in Romans 2, 4 where it says God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. God's kindness is meant to, meant to lead us to repentance. And God's kindness is all over Adam and Eve. God is compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger. You know, I did a uh, just a word search in the Old Testament for these three words together. Compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger. And I came up with nine different times. And the reason it's nine different times is that because the Israelites, like us today, are so obstinate. Let me put this in first person. The Israelites and me are so obstinate that, that I'm, I'm in continual disobedience to the Lord. And it's only God's Spirit that gives me the power to say no to sin. That in my obstinance, in the Israelites' obstinance, in our disobedience, God is compassionate, He is gracious, and He's slow to anger. Amen? He is not going to give us the, the wrath. He's not going to give us the eternal death that we're going to talk about in a minute that we deserve. That He is gracious, He is merciful, and He is slow to anger. His desire is for reconciliation. You know, I don't think he enjoyed for one bit, one minute, the consequences that he laid down on Adam and Eve. I don't think he enjoyed that. I don't think he takes any joy at all in seeing us live in this fallen world. That's not his best. He created us to be in a relationship, a sinless, holy, perfect relationship with him. And someday, we're going to be back in that relationship. The first animal sacrifice was a reminder of their new sinful state, Adam and Eve's. And it was a shadow of the reality that God would someday kill a substitute to redeem sinners. you get that? Remember, Moses is talking to the Israelites. And the Israelites are sacrificing for an atonement for their sins. And this is an illustration that these sacrifices are temporary. And at the end of the day, they don't do anything. But there's a greater one who's going to come and lay down his life to clothe them in righteousness. Not just meet their basic needs, but to meet their ultimate needs. Verse 22, first part of 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Us is the trinity. It's the second time we've seen it so far in Genesis where, the, where, where Moses has used the capital you, us. Let's take a look at knowing good and evil. Remember when Satan in verse 5 was tempting the woman? And he said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for God knows, Eve, when you eat of this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let me ask you something. Is there anything that ever comes good out of Satan's mouth? Does he ever speak the truth? Never. He's a liar and he's a deceiver. He never does anything edifying. Therefore, being like God and knowing good and evil must not be a positive thing. You track with me on that? He's tempting them to eat of the tree so that they can so their eyes can be open, so that they can they can be like God and know good and evil. Worst mistake they could have ever made. MacArthur says This is not the omniscient type of all-knowing. This isn't the where now our eyes are open and we know everything. But he says, They now know evil by experience. That Adam and Eve now know evil by experience, as we do in this world today. Adam and Eve knew good and evil. They know good and evil because they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They saw that they were naked and that they were ashamed and they were afraid. They knew good and evil But they knew the evil to be present with them and the good to have been departed from them. The evil came in and the good left. There is no more good. In this verse, in in Psalm 14.3, we see it again in Romans 3. says, they have all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And folks, hang with me because you know the good news is coming. You know the good news is coming. But there's not one who does good, not one. Let's take a look at verse twenty, the second half of verse twenty-two. So the first half, then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil." The man now knows evil. There's no good in him anymore. And the second half says, "Now, now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever." and there's a line there I don't know what's in your Bible but after forever there's a line that is a that is a pause that is a complete change of thought by the Lord now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever God doesn't panic but it's it almost it's almost a concept of oh no oh no they're in this condition they know evil they can't do good And if they eat of the tree of life, oh, no. The act of disobedience is evidently decisive for the whole conduct, character, and relation to God. The act of disobedience and eating of the tree is apparently decisive for the whole conduct, character, and relation to God. It therefore necessarily forfeits that life which consists in the favor of God in all of its consequent blessings. They're being cut off. The two trees correspond with the condition and the benefit in this essential covenant law. The first tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is the test of man's obedience and disobedience. It's the test. It's there. God knew it was there. The tree of life offers the benefit which is retained by obedience and lost by disobedience. The tree of life is eternal life as God designed it. And that was to benefit a sinless Adam and Eve so that they would live eternally in a sinless state with God. But because they sinned, because of their disobedience, they cannot eat of the tree of life. Catch this. Had Adam continued in the fellowship with God by obedience to the command of God, he might have eaten of the tree of life, for he was created for eternal life. But after he had fallen through sin into the power of death, the fruit which produced immorality could do him harm. For immorality in a state of sin is not eternal life the way God designed eternal life. You tracking with me there? They sinned. They became sinful forever. Eat of the tree of light. They become immortal forever. And in God's mercy, he didn't let them live forever in a physical state. In a sinless, excuse me, a sinful physical state. Immorality, immorality, In a state of sin is not eternal life, which God designed for man. It's endless misery. It's what scriptures call the second death. And boy, I wish we had more time. I wish we had more weeks because the second death is fascinating. And it's scriptural. It's all through Genesis, it's through Exodus, it's through Ezekiel, it's through Isaiah, it's through Revelation. The physical death is a penalty for sin, it was part of the curse. We're going to die. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because, because all sinned. There's been people from, from the beginning of time that have tried to come up with a cure for longer living. It's fruitless. It's not going to happen. We're going we're to die. It says in Scripture that the outer man is decaying day by day, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. Physical death is a penalty for sin. There's two deaths, one we, when we leave the earth in our mortal bodies, the second is the eternal death, whereas there will be eternal torment in a lake of fire. Those who do not eat from the tree of life, that's all of us, will, not ex- will, will only experience the first death. Will not only experience the first death, excuse me, but we will experience the second death, which could be described as eternal separation from God. Unless we put our hope in Jesus we put our hope in Jesus, as many of you have. We will die. We will die a physical death. But then when Christ comes again, we'll be risen with him. And we'll live eternally with him in a sinless state. Where there's no more sin. And if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, I implore you that today be the day. Because even though God is gracious He's slow to anger and he 's merciful he 's also a holy God that will not tolerate our sin, and he has given us time he 's given us all time, and none of us know how short our time is, but I just want to encourage you that if you 've not put your faith and trust in Jesus that today 's a day romans six twenty three says the wages of sin is death that 's not physical death that 's eternal death. That is, the, that is uh, eternal torment in the lake of fire. The wages of sin, the payment of sin is death. We all deserved it. We're all getting it. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the best news on the planet. Revelation 2.7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Revelation 2.11 says, The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Romans 8.37 says, In all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. There Satan's been defeated. Sin ultimately has been defeated, even though in our flesh it still rears itself up on a daily basis. And then Revelation 22.14, Blessed are those who wash their robes. So they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Washing the robes is a symbolism for being cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. If you've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, you're going to have eternal life with Jesus. And there's nothing, there's nobody, there's no how that will separate you from that. Verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Whatever you see therefore in a passage, what, you should ask the question, what is it therefore? So the therefore, what is the therefore? There it's now they know good and evil. Adam and Eve know good and evil. Therefore, God does not want them to eat from the tree of life. They are in a sinful state, and God doesn't want them to eat from the tree of life. So He mercifully sends them out of the garden. This is a merciful act of grace. The expulsion from paradise, therefore, was a punishment inflicted for man's good intended while exposing him to temporal death to preserve him from eternal death. In Romans it says that God works all things for those who love him and are called according to Christ Jesus. Works all things good for those who love him and are called according to Christ Jesus. And he certainly worked this banishment from the garden for good. Second Peter 3: nine says, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Luke 19:10 says, "The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. God does not want to see Adam and Eve separated from him forever. He wants them to worship Him in eternity, in heaven, with him, in a sinless state." Let's take a look at verse 24. It says, God drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the final statement of consequence. This is it. This is it. And then we're moving through the rest of the Bible where we see sin, mercy, and grace time after time. This is the final statement. To drive out means to divorce. God is, even in his mercy, he's a holy God that will not tolerate sin. So he is driving them out of the garden. The garden is where there's where there's relationship with God the Father. And driving out literally means to divorce. Drive out means to divorce. So God is divorcing himself from Adam and Eve. There is all kinds of importance to the east side of the garden. And we, have, we don't have any time to do it, but if you get a chance to look in uh, both Ezekiel and Revelation, you're going to see that the, the entrance into the throne room is always from the east side. You're going to see that, that uh, the cherubim guard the most holy place from the east side. And the cherubim are angels. They're, they're God's attendants. They're responsible for protecting the most holy places. This, is, uh, this blows me away every time I look at it. The cherubim who were there to guard the most holy place. There was, there's a temple where, let me just read this. There are cherubim embroidered on the veil or the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place of the temple. The most holy place is where the high priest went in to make atonement for sins one time a year. Okay, this is where the, the high priest met with God. And made atonement for his sins and the sins of everybody else. There was a curtain that divided the holy place from the most holy place. This curtain, also called a veil, you know what it had embroidered on it? Cherubim. The cherubim were embroidered on the veil, on the curtain, that protected, that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And the most holy place is where the mercy seat was. It's where God resided. Now get this. Matthew 27, 15. Christ took his last breath. He took his last breath. And you remember what happened? And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. That curtain... That, that separated the holy place from the most holy place. That, place. that place where only the high priest can go has been torn in two. You see, in Jesus, the cherubim are no longer needed. Because we have access to the Father through the person, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Is that cool? That's cool. Hebrews 9.12 says, He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is now through his flesh. So when you read this passage and you see that they were banished from the garden, they were banished from from having a relationship with God the Father, They were were banished from daily communion with the Father. And God lovingly put the cherubim to guard the tree of life so that Adam and Eve would not live eternally in their sin. So He banished them from the garden. Yet He made a way through the seed of Eve, through her offspring, For Adam and Eve and every one of us to be reconciled to the Father. So now that we have access to the tree of life, we have access to the most holy place where the Father resides. It says in Hebrews that we can now boldly come before the throne of grace. Boldly. I picture that as almost skipping in there. That we can come before the throne of grace. And he beckons us there because of this sacrifice. Oh my goodness, it's 1140. I'm so sorry. Worship team, would you make your way up? Life and mortality are brought to light by the gospel. It says in Romans 10, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Father, we bless you. God, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your plan. Lord, I just trust that, that you will use your word Lord, that will, that will cut past any offense that I gave to the word. God, that would cut past that and through that, and that you would impact our hearts. God, I thank you for dying for us. I thank you for uh, ripping apart the veil that separated us from the most, most holy place. And now that we have complete access to you, Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.